0: I don't know what it is about this fucking mic. It just makes me cool. nervous. Or maybe just every mic. We will live for eternity We do it for posterity Running into the best ones yet, want to run Running with the best ones yet Solid on the bedrock, break not as wet. Solid on the bedrock, yeah We will live for eternity we will live for eternity
1: we will live for eternity hello and welcome to make it clap like butt cheeks but also applause i'm your host gavani kimaru this is a podcast about the good bad and ugly conversations on life love and everything in between mm. so usually it would be me and my sweet sweet mellow sounds taking you through a conversation on good bad and ugly things but today it's a takeover episode my husband andrew is speaking to photographer artist all round good guy mutua Madeka. you may know him from the amazing stuff that he's shot i'm sure you've seen him on a couple billboards uh, maybe you stalk him online like everyone does wondering when or oh, when will my iphone photo look like that? Never. The answer is never. So on this episode, Andrew talks to Matua about being a dad, what his own relationship with his father was, and you know, a little bit of advice for you young, new, soon-to-be fathers. It's a really great episode, and I should stop talking now so you can hear it.
2: So like I explained to you, this is... Uh, my ice podcast but she lets me hijack it once a season uh, to talk yeah. to, to people I want to talk to about things that are important to me uh, so uh-huh. that's essentially what we're doing the first question more than anything is why are you always naked on the internet I think you and TK <laughs> have mooned people and then you are naked again on the internet it's uh-huh. like there's nothing to enjoy it I
3: actually am because this is the thing mm-hmm. I'm not always naked that's just something of the past like one year mm-hmm. being naked on the internet well, COVID <laughs> but also <laughs> <COVID-19>. <laughs> I started before the year last year was it last year when last year started literally I think that was probably the first time when we did that January 1st welcome 2020 mm, I remember uh, Yeah, with TJ. But Mm. it was, you know, for me, what I see those as is a thing of, it's it's like shocking. It's like forcing, it almost forces people to see you differently or to see you beyond the ideas they've placed on you Mm. for themselves. So it's like there's no, it's not that there's no edge or there's no, boundary is just saying yes um i am this person who is seen this way but also i'm this other person who will go skinny dipping in a lake <laughs> and yes that could be you we could also argue that why don't i keep that secret but also why not because also you know that's something that even my wife didn't believe she was like ah you're
2: uh uh-uh. And I was like, but really, <laughs> what is the problem? <laughs> really? So now, like, just staying on that uh, track and leaning back to what I said about Mutomadeka being sort of the template for a lot of young photographers. Um, yeah. And for a lot of young creatives as well, because you aren't just a photographer, you're like, um, mm-hmm. for just a um, like you do yeah. a lot of that, like you are a template for a lot of people. Do you feel like you are, Uh, you felt any pressure to become that kind of whatever people felt you were and like the skinny dipping and whatnot was like a liberation moment for you, something Mm. along those lines. Maybe you can say what you think about like that line of thought.
3: What I'd say, of course, that pressure is always there. I think it's there in terms of, because there's this idea of that you're supposed to be a certain way or people are looking. And I think I felt that the most, especially, in the creating isolation series when I put that work out. Um, the last, I think the last few pieces were it was like really nude. And there was a lot of friends actually who came and they were like, Hey, you, you don't know, yeah, younger people are looking at you. So do you what? And I said, Okay, yeah, I get that they're looking at me, but what is it that you're saying? Because you're trying to say that if people are looking up to me, that I should not be this way what is wrong with being this way Mm
0: -hmm.
3: because it's not telling it's not telling people that you should do what I do because I think people look at looking up to people in the wrong way. And I know this because there are people I look up to Mm
0: -hmm.
3: in very different ways. Like for me, when I look up to people there are people who I know, I don't like their personality, I wouldn't want to meet them, (laughs) but they put out fantastic work Mm -hmm. or like, I like their work ethic. And nothing else. And there are other people who I really love their personality and I wish their work was better to match their personality. You know what I mean?
0: Mm.
3: Yeah, because you're like, ah, this guy or oh, this chick is so friendly. They're so nice. And they're just raw Safi.
0: Mm.
3: But yani, if their work was better. Mm. So for me, what I say is, I try not to allow. Now, this is what I decided as the bottom line. I try not to allow what people think of me to influence whether I do or whether I don't do something. So in that way, I try to make sure that I do things that I deeply care about. Because one thing I know, and one thing I'm really sure about more than anything now, is that as much as we are all, it's in us to care about things as humans. Mm -hmm. But it's not in us to care about the same things Way too often, I find people um, either calling each other out or being mad at people that don't care about the things they care about. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't care about the thing they care about. Why are you calling them out? You care about the thing you care about deeply. It doesn't matter that others care about it because your caring is not dependent on others. You Mm. care about something because you care about it, period. One thing that I've also realized decisions that I've made in this creative career that I've had so far have affected many people for the better. They've affected the industry for the better. For people who will never be able to to know about it or even thank me for it. Like there are people who are my haters who what I've done or the decisions I've made benefit them whether they like to or not. And so for me, that's the same way I try to look at it. I'm like, there are things I do, there are jobs I refuse mm-hmm. just so that someone coming after me doesn't have to refuse them the same way. Those people come correct. There's money I refuse because not just for myself, I could benefit from it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't push anything forward. And I'm a strong believer in also making decisions that push things forward. Mm-hmm. Because can you imagine if I got a job that say for example living with money mm-hmm. i take a job for say 50k
2: mm-hmm. how
3: much do you think they will pay that photographer who has just started
2: mm-hmm. so you have to be it's sort of still living up to Mutua Madeka, the brand you have to be a standard yeah for younger exactly. people, in more ways than yeah. just being the image to look up to but also the standard of how uh corporates or clients can interact with the next yeah. level of photographer because they will I know it exactly. for a fact they will try and take advantage. Um, they I've will. Done, they always yes. do. I've also done the. I've done the 100k job and I've done the 10k job. Um, and yeah. I've I've gotten also to a place where I can choose which ones that I take for one reason or another. But I do understand yeah. what you're saying in terms of it's not fair to do something that breaks the mold for the next level, because then somebody else comes and says, ah, see, yeah, yes.
3: who are you? Exactly. That's exactly what they do. And that's part of just making sure you, whatever doors you go through, you leave them propped open. They, like there might be no one directly walking behind you that you hold the door open for, but if it's those doors that lock themselves, leave, leave the door open. And mm-hmm. what I truly believe for me, Taking all manner of, like taking the whole spectrum of jobs. If I took jobs for 10K, 20K, 30K, 40K, all the way to 100 and 200K, mm. it's really a disservice for the person who really needs the 10K job mm. because that person
2: is not me. Um, so, coming back to the thread, why, why was it important for you? Because that's a lot of personal information. Why was it important mm. for you to do that thread? could you talk a little bit about that like why it meant something to you
3: the time you know the time when because i did this i mean i i went through this stage again 4 years ago when she was born because i remember um when she's called amala when she was born i would go to the hospital the times that i'm there every time i would be there with a camera i would always be there in a camera even though they will say Yeah, you can't shoot in here. But I was like, I'm taking pictures of my daughter. I'm not taking pictures of anyone else. And the nurses can see. So I'm in Niku. I'm taking pictures of her. And despite me thinking, I think this is too personal, it was like it's part of my life. So I posted those on Instagram and talked about how, what I went through. And because of that, so many people that I didn't even know, people like from outside the country, people from the states, women, men reached out they were like yeah even me i was born two months premature others were like yeah my child was also born two months premature like people came up people that i still follow till now and people that i still interact with but we no longer talk about our children but that's the thing that brought us together and i realized that which is weird because that's something i should know stories matter Stories matter because they make someone else feel... Before you talk about something, you always feel like you're the only one going through it. And then you talk about it, and suddenly people come from the woodworks that you never thought would come out. Suddenly people find the opportunity to say, you know, I also went through this. You know, this also happened. And then what, what happens with that is that someone else who has just now gone in through that, and they're feeling the most alone person in the world, understand that they're not alone. So many people are going through the same thing. Suddenly, the one thing that felt like it was the most heartbreaking weight you could carry feels like a lighter load. And so this time, she just turned four, and somehow, it's something that I decided, I think towards the end of last year, we were like, with her mom, we said, you know, we should start telling her the story of how she was born. Just so that she can always remember that she's a miracle, number one, that she is stronger than she thinks, that her being here is not an accident, is not a mistake. She's here because she's supposed to be here. And so while going through those motions in my head, I said, ah, let me talk about this also on Twitter. I never did this on Twitter before. I don't done it on Instagram like four years ago when she was born. And you, you see that by putting that out there, I think it reassures someone whether they reach out to me or not. But people understand that this is not a story that doesn't happen to even the people that you see in a different way. And also for me, it's very important to me that I'm saying, it's important to me that when people look at me, they they try to get the idea of a whole me because the internet above all things is like the perfect place of, what do you call them, highlights. But these highlights, despite knowing better, these highlights have become how we imagine someone's whole life to be. So we see 2% and we equate 100% to that 2%. And I think we also, us who share all these aspects of our lives are a little at fault because we share only what we want and we keep other things, which is fine. I don't think anyone is supposed to, you know, just share everything. But I think once in a while, when you can put your voice into something that is important, I think it's good too, uh, for something that you care about because it really, it does reassure other people. It makes people, and it might also seem very shallow But humanize you a lot more because I'm not interested in this, in quote, God status. That sometimes I meet some people, especially people who are starting out, and I feel that they've bestowed upon me, and it's really uncomfortable. And I'm like, "Uh ah, this is the most human, flawed person with so many problems. You need to see me in a proper real way not in the way that you've decided in your
2: head since you you mentioned the missus and now we're going to talk about her a little bit Uh, (laughs) what what tell us about like um i like i'm saying us like there's anyone else here (laughs) but tell tell us about uh, tell us about like the how you met the missus and what was it about her in particular that like struck you and said, because these are listening to the story of your daughter's birth. You, one thing I know as a father as well. You hope that the right person is next to you. I know women carry a lot mm. of um, the emotional and physical mm. weight mm. of pregnancy, but I mean, we're right there silently, right next to them, struggling in in silence sometimes. But yeah. you hope yeah. that you yeah. have the That's right true. person with you. How did you, um, I know there's no right person in quotes, but how did you get a sense that this is, this is someone who's going to go with a creative. This is someone who's going to go with like for the punches. This is someone who's going to um, go through this kind of experience. How do you, uh, is there anything you can say that stood out as it gave you foresight into this is is the person who can do this with me? You know, by the
3: way, it's a very simple, it's a very simple, Story and a very <laughs> maybe um, not a not not like not a not down to a science. I met her, met her in church, and one of the things, one of the first things, like we'd see each other every Sunday in church. And one day, I'm leaving to go back to school, so church is on Mombasa Road. So I was leaving to go get a mat, go to town, and she was like, "Hey, wait, wait up!" So we went together to town. And one thing that is important to note at this point, I was one of the people who you know how society, I think it's it's just society expectations and all these things that you feel that as a man you take care of the woman, like in everything. So if you are going out to this lady, she needs something, whether it's a drink, whether it's lunch, you're out on a date, you pay. So, and sometimes what that can do is that when you're broke, it also makes you feel like you are not worthy at that moment because you can't do those things that a man is supposed to do. And so, at this point, because I was a student, not necessarily, not really from a rich family by any stretch. So, uh, we get to Tao and I was thirsty. I just knew ah, I need to buy a soda, then I go to school. Then she's like, "Oh, okay, let me, let me go with you. Let's go, we get one from over there. Now the place she's saying, because we're in Kencom, we go get a soda is opposite that galitos, whatever stretch that's there. Now me, the person in Kampu knows where everything is cheaper. I already know that that soda I want kwa supermarket ni 40 bob. But over there, at that galitos ni 80 bob. Nani ya na 80 bob, not me. That is fair, ya kuenda juja. So I'm like, now this chick, surely, she wants me to go buy soda. But see, it's a chick who's fly. You're like, there might be chances. Let me, let me seem strong. So we go across there. And I say, okay, I'll take a Coke. She says, and I'll take a Fanta. And at that time, I'm like, Ngai. and she also wants a soda. So it's two sodas for 80, bob, 160. Guy, <laughs> okay. Like, okay. Then after, so I know I have my 200 boob. That's all I have. Like 16 is our I'll go find a bus to go to Juja as opposed to a mat. So when I'm ready to remove money, she tours and pays. And truly, truly, that moment is the, is the time that I knew I was going to marry her. And that was the first time that we were actually out together. And I told her that way later after we were married, and she's shocked because she never believes that. She's like, how can it be that simple? Like, honestly, it really was. When you did that for me, I made the choice. And from there, I think it was just a choice of, I'm choosing you. We are doing this together. One thing that I've realized over all those years, for her and for me, is that (laughs) the person we really think most of the time when we are young and we are planning to get married, the girl or the man that you're over there tuning you think ah this person as they are they're the best thing to ever happen but the one thing that nobody tells you is that people change especially if you met in your 20s and that person in their 20s will not even last 10 years it will be a different person so if you marry that person for who they are then and nothing else it might end up being very disappointing because honestly now We've been married about 11 years in a few days. And the person she married, I'm not the person she married. I'm extremely different. And even me, the woman I married, hey, she has changed. The good thing is because from back then, I'd already said, I decided it's not because she, okay, it's because she bought that soda but not because she bought this order. Like for me, it was significant of something. It signified something. So the thing is, when I decided it was her, it was her. Like that's it. Until now, that becomes the work that I do. The job that I do is every day choose her. Whoever she is, choose her and let her know she's the person I chose and she's the person I continue choosing.
2: That is deep on so many levels because I completely understand what you're saying, and I love that yeah. you gave the context of because we've all been there. You're a young guy, you're in school, or maybe not even in school, you're just immediately out of school. Um, and you have no money, you have no means. I've also been on dates where I have a towel in my pocket and it has ishad nani in a 20 bob, nani na jok 50. I knew it when I was giving yeah. that money away. So now I have to panga myself as to how I am going. You
3: panga yourself.
2: um. But, yeah, like, I think that moment where someone sees you, whether they do it consciously or not, they see you and they're like, yo, I'm not going to let you suffer this alone. I know people say, like, why okay. didn't this person just say they don't have money? But I think there's a lot yeah. for people who are actually paying attention and they see yeah. that this, this person yeah. seems kind of uneasy. um to like I, hey, this is not my kind of place like this mm. let me say yeah like it also demonstrates a heightened amount of interest that this yes that she has like there's a heightened amount of interest that she has that she feels like i'm going to take that hit with the belief or the knowledge um that it's gonna pay off because it's like as much as i know women love to feel desired like men also want to feel like somebody's got your back um exactly yeah and i i really like that i actually really like that story
1: we're gonna take a quick break now when the podcast returns andrew and mutua talk about the birth of his son how becoming a dad changed him and his own relationship with his father we'll be right back
0: best ones yet solid on the bedrock break not as wet solid on the bedrock yeah we will live for eternity
1: welcome back to the make it laugh podcast like butt cheeks but also applause i'm your host kadoni kimaru or usually i would be but for this conversation my husband andrew has taken over to speak to mutua Madeka, an artist about what his experience has been like being a father here's the next part of their conversation now
2: Um, yeah. so like you've, you've talked about like the birth of your daughter, and I think it was cause that was such an experience. And as a photographer, you are in a position to, to document that. But do you want to talk about like the birth of your son? What was that experience like?
3: So, you know, the thing is, I think my son, first of all, his pregnancy, like you and my wife keep saying that like, that pregnancy was like so smooth. Everything worked well. The only thing about it is that we have been trying to have a child for maybe two years and so when it finally happened we were so excited so elated she didn't have complications which we thank god for give birth well boy came out and of course everything changed like everything was just there was providence for that birth It almost seemed, you know, like when you get a child, in pocket, you feel, hey, I think we are pros at this making babies thing because everything worked well, but it had nothing to do with decisions we made. It's just God and just providence, things just working the way they would, nothing to do with us. But for me, obviously, that changed me. And one of the biggest changes that I noticed that I didn't expect from being a father is I feel like being a father freed me. I felt free in a way that was weird. Like I remember thinking, if if this child, like if I live, if I live my life in a way that this child is not proud of, then I wasted my time. If I live, if I live my life in a way that betrays what I believe in, and then then what am I teaching him? What am I trying to tell him about how to live his life? And so the idea, and especially because I kept we keep we we know that we are in a, in a culture which is very strong in terms of how um, their perceptions about how people should be, whether in relationships, whether your parents, where you hear things like ah, you are the father of someone now, you can't do da 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 da. So for me, I think all those things somehow, is like, I threw them all away because I was like, really. By the way, it doesn't matter whether you say I should be a certain way or not. The fact is, I have a child and my responsibility is to be true to who I am. Because that's, if I'm not, then what am I teaching this child? Well, if I think that year was one of the years that I traveled the most. And by traveling so much, one thing that I didn't realize I was doing is that I was putting so much strain on my relationship and on my wife being also a new mother. And it's something that I still regret till now because I was away a lot. And I don't know whether it was a coincidence or I don't know how it happened. I just know that I felt, okay, I can be, I don't know whether deep down or subconsciously there was something that was sending me like that feeling you get like now, like all life is about to change. So do some of these things now because you won't be able to do them when you're actively caring for a child. I don't know whether it was that. Honestly, I don't know. But the one thing that I know is that what I regret and what I even had to be like, Can you? Um, I'm sorry, Like I had to apologize to my wife because for that absence, because I don't know that I planned it, but I know that I wasn't there as much as, as I should have been. Thankfully, it wasn't for long and she called me out on it early enough that I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't even realize that I was doing this, but I see that I was, and now I'm here. And I don't think, after that, I think all, yeah, I would say, you know, all was well, we kind of got into it and we, I don't know, this parenting, you know, for me, I feel so awkward And talking about parenting because I never feel like I'm anywhere near what would typically be called a good parent. But what I know is that every day I'm trying to be a better parent for the children more than I was the day before. And I accept whatever mistakes I make on that way. And I accept that I can never be perfect. And I accept despite what I do in 18 years or 20 years or 30 years. They will still say how I dropped the ball while raising them. <laughs> so uh, like my, it will still be I I don't know.
2: No, I feel you like my G, you're hitting so many notes that I'm feeling like um <laughs> even me, the birth of my daughter, like it was the same thing. I think it's that mm. it's that provider instinct that you've been you saw your dad. And we'll get to that in a moment, but it's that provider yeah. instinct that kicks in. And it's like, the only thing that matters is that this woman should not want for anything. And it's like, mm. you throw yourself so deeply into that, that you forget that the one thing this woman wants is you there. And it's like, it's you. Yes. that flies over the heads of almost every man, because we are only thinking about, in that moment, we're thinking about hospital bills. Apartment, is it big enough? We're going to need a nanny. That's more money. We're going to need this. That thing that's been leaking in the house needs to be fixed. We can no longer live Mm -hmm. like, eh, so many things are going through your head. In your own way, you're trying to prepare for the birth of your child. And it's true. Everything is changing. Everything is changing. And I think um, my wife and I have this inside joke. like anytime we feel like we're not doing a good job at something, we tell each other, but you have been doing it. <laughs> like if you look at yourself and eleven years, you have been doing it. Um, I know yeah. it doesn't feel yeah. that way because we look at oh man, look at all the things our parents accomplished <laughs> or did or whatnot. And we still feel mm. like those children sitting in the house watching VHS type tapes. But the reality is we are doing it. We have been doing
3: it. We are doing, yeah. We are not those those children like we we it's very hard for us to see the progress and the
2: steps kabisa like it's especially
3: without looking back in hindsight
2: yeah i think there's a lot of progression and we'll only ever know about it when somebody finally uh posts a birthday picture of us when they're like 18 or 20 something like my dad my yeah. and they're like oh my gosh and you're like oh wow okay i was actually doing a good job okay
3: this is I new. Was, yeah i was trying okay okay it's and nice it's good to hear
1: we're gonna take one more break now but when the podcast comes back andrew and mutua continue this conversation on fatherhood in this last part they have some advice for new and soon to be dads we'll be right back
2: What's the hardest thing about being a dad?
3: Oh know. eh, yeah, yeah. hey, that's a tough question. Eh, hey, I think honestly, the toughest thing for me that I imagine is 18, 15 years from now, having children that, one, don't like me, for whatever reason, which is, possible, but I know that will hurt deeply, but even more than that, I think one of the things that will be the hardest is seeing, seeing the kids suffer in any way, especially because of decisions that I made or didn't make. I think that will be tough on me, because they, they, to me, I always look at it and say they didn't choose to be here. And so for the time that they are, they are, I have a responsibility to them. And that responsibility is to make their life above providing, is to make their life better than mine was. If I know better, then I have to do better. So where I know better and I slack on mazi that I think will be hard. That I don't know, I don't know how, like I think that that part is the hardest. Just looking and knowing that, and also looking and knowing that at some point in life, they will not need you. If you've done your job well, that should come, that they won't need you, need you in the way that you would expect to be needed. But I don't know if I can imagine that I always joke about how I would want that like for them like I'm trying to raise children that are independent because one of the things that I value the most about my life is my level of independence in that when I think about doing something I do I put in the best effort that I can to do it and to achieve it I don't see it as there's an option of it not happening and I would really like my children to be the same, where they can take care of themselves fully, emotionally, financially, mentally. But I imagine that that
2: will be difficult to see. To be proud, but difficult. Mm. Yeah. Like the, the outcome, the best possible outcome is also the worst possible outcome.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. in some way, because you're like, okay, now, you know, they're independent, they're doing all these things, and that's nice, but honestly, that would be a lot better than seeing them suffer through bad decisions, either by me or by themselves. You know, I think that would be one of the worst things
2: to see. I can't Um, even imagine it. If you want to talk about it, some of these questions are optional, by way. You can say like it's it's not something you want to talk yeah. about. Um <laughs> yeah, I, I like yeah, to okay. give that option because I I like I tend to go really deep sometimes, especially when I'm feeling the conversation. Um like yeah. what was your relationship with your dad like?
3: With so you know, here's the 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 thing about my dad. I think for me, I grew up with the memories that I have remembering my dad, especially when I was in primary school. Like, I remember him to me being just the coolest guy, just the guy that would get home because he he's a doctor. He was a doctor, rather. And we lived in Machacos. I grew up in Machacos. His clinic was in Sultan Hamoud, which is about two hours, maybe one and a half hours from Machakos. And so he would work, finish clotheswork, work, then come home. So he was always home late, like at maybe nine or so. And we used to play a lot. So for me, some of the best memories I have growing up is playing karate with my dad. Like we would be, we'd park the car and we'd wait behind the door to sneak up on him, jump on him, things like that. So he'd play with us, fight with us. And my mom used to be the person who never bought snacks. Like my mom would be like, you're eating, you want to eat crisps, crisps from this shop. See, I just make for you potatoes over here. I'm going to boil potatoes. You eat them, and you're like, Mom, someone can't ask for crisps, and you give them boiled potatoes, surely. Because my mom was like the healthy person and also the frugal one who is like, Why buy it when you can make it? But my dad will come with crisps, will come with chocolate every once in a while. So one of the favorite chocolate he used to come with was crunchy. And I've always loved that crunchy chocolate. There's another day I saw it like a year ago. I was like, oh my gosh, crunchy. I bought it. I don't think it's in the market anymore. So I grew up like really loving him, idolizing him, having a lot of fun. But then he, and I think I've probably spoken about it somewhere. But yeah, but my dad left us when I was in high school, I think maybe from one or from two. And for me, it was the deepest betrayal. Because first of all, I never imagined that happening. But I know by that time, we'd already been seen in movies, things like divorce, which it wasn't something that, especially for us kids who grew up in the 90s, it wasn't something that you'd say, I know this person whose parents are divorced. Like, I don't think I know anyone whose parents were separated or divorced. So I never expected it. So when, but he picked me from school, one of the holidays, um, I think I was in form one or form two. And as we went home, he told me, yeah, we are not going to be living with your mother anymore, but I have my own house somewhere. So we went to his place, he said everything, and I was like, okay, okay. I was pretty mature about it at that time, like considering, like I took it and I was like, okay, seems these things happen, but, If they're happy apart it's fine plus he's going to be there for us anyway so we will still hang out we will still do all of that stuff so that happened and then when my sister closed school he told us again together and that's when it was like really like i think that's when i broke down i cried um but again in my head i was like but he's still our dad is going to be available so we'll see him less but Either way, we only see him nights. So I guess it's okay. But then the harder thing, or rather the hardest thing that I didn't expect is that because in a short while, maybe in in a year or less, he'd moved in with another woman. And I would go visit him. But one thing that was the worst thing is that I saw him slowly change. Like from that person who had time to play, who was loving. I saw him change to become someone who was always criticizing the things that I did. So also, I don't know whether it has anything to do with the fact that by that time, I was also starting to become independent because this is now going to Form 3, Form 4, finishing school. But I remember I would go visit him, hang out in his house with this woman. She had a son. And I would be like, I don't know what it is, but he's changed it's changed, like he's not the same person that I knew. He doesn't seem to be a fun person anymore. I don't see him laughing. I don't see him enjoying even himself. He doesn't enjoy my company. He doesn't seem to enjoy my company anyway. And for me, I think from probably my defense mechanism, which is something I realized that I had most of my life was that if I know, I'm going to be rejected, or if I feel myself being rejected, I just distance myself. And so at that time, I was like, you know what? This guy doesn't seem to enjoy my company here. So the last time I actually went to live with him was my last school holiday before, you know, after form four. But the long time I stayed with him was the August holiday before going back for the last term of form four, and I went i was there that whole holiday because you know that's the time from fours you're supposed to be school i mean not school but you're reading you're revising for exams for us fine art students we had some a project that we have to do so i was working on my art project and i think we had a talk before i opened school and i remember one of the last conversations that i really really remember vividly was I was working because I knew and he knew that I wanted to go to Quart to study architecture, which needed quite a number of points, which at that point, honestly, from exams that I'd done, it didn't seem like I could hit those marks, but I was constantly working and praying to get that A- to do architecture in Quart. And then he sat me down, we talked about how the expectations he has, it was basically him talking at me it wasn't even us discussing he was like as you go back to school i know this holiday i haven't seen you do a lot of studying or even finish your art project but at the very least make sure you get a b minus a b minus i can do something with if you give me something lower than that i don't know if i can help you in life i was so pissed i went to school saying i knew you and your neighbor you will see Finished school. I never went. That was the last time that I went to stay with him. The next time I went to stay with him was after picking up my results where I had gotten, guess what, an A- minus with enough points to do architecture. And all I did was go to his house, give him my results slip. And he was like, oh, okay, this is not bad actually. But if you had listened to me, this would have been an A. And I left that house. I went back to my mom's. I never went back to him. In fact, the next time, I sought him out to go see him, was to introduce him to my girlfriend, to tell him I was going to get married. So, you know, bittersweet, started out well, but I think that's why the betrayal was, the betrayal was so much deeper because I expected better. At least in, I I was mature enough to understand that his relationship with my mom can be estranged, but I'm his son and he should have done better by me.
2: How much of that do you think influences your, um, how you approach being a father yourself?
3: I think every, in every way it does. Like as much as I, I remember, in fact, when getting married, one of the things, because I told my wife the story, and I was like, I'm, I know many times that sons end up, even without trying, being like their fathers, but one of the things that I do not want, like there are many good qualities about him, but there are things about him that I don't want to be. And ish. sometimes it can be hard because I also do believe that that thing that you spend, in fact, that's why I even just stopped because I think that you spend time obsessing over whether it's something that you don't want to be, you end up being. It's like when you're driving and trying to actively avoid something and end up hitting it so yeah
2: now talking directly to other new semi-new four years in three years in dads um Mm. what do you want them to know about being a dad wherever they may be
3: i'd say the same thing i think i'd say the same thing i try to remind myself every so often about being a dad is that first of all take it easy like be easy because it's not a, a race that ends. Pace yourself. Pace yourself. With children, you, you just find that, just like, it's an analogy that I like also from playing games with kids. It's how when you start with throwing them up very high in the sky, whatever game you start, be sure you can maintain it for an hour or more. So pace yourself. It doesn't mean do the most basic stuff so that you keep pacing. But peace yourself is not about what other people are doing. Being a father is so intricately personal that it's not anything that anyone can compare. Like no one else can be a better you than you. So no one else can be a better father in the way you can be a father. And I don't think that changes whether you're just about to be a dad or it's 18 years in, like just pace yourself and get ready to just go the whole way because there are no breaks. First of all, there are no breaks, and I know that sounds like doom, but because there are no breaks, know how to pace yourself for that. Take the tiny breaks that are needed. Enjoy every moment because honestly, there's very many unenjoyable moments. There are so many times that, you know, Yeah, we have to chase the children to go upstairs just because we cannot take the shouting anymore. But that's part of it. So it's a thing of pacing yourself. Don't beat yourself up for the times that you either lose it, the times that you feel you didn't do your best. Just pick it up and do your
2: best from there on. Like once you know better, you do better. Um, I like to go back to the interviewee and say like, Do you have any questions or anything you want to say at the end of all this?
3: Me, I think I will. Okay. I would just ask one question because I know you, I mean, you said that this podcast is your wife's. Yes. And I've met her, I think, several times. Mm -hmm. But then do you work? Do you guys work together apart from this podcast?
2: Yeah. We have a four-year-old child. Ah, apart
3: from that project
2: a, that's a full-time lifetime project that is a, that done. is
3: actually a full-time project
2: um no i'm i think we are both uh creatives in that uh we're, yeah. both, we're both writers we are both um um voice people if i can put it that way mm. like we speak uh into microphones uh we're both editors yeah. uh we, like we kind of encompass so many i, I mean i'm the photographer But when it comes to things to do with radio and audio, that's her strong suit. Um, Mm -hmm. And we basically feed off of each other, even when, I mean, COVID-19 has shown us a lot. So um, when we started working from home, we realized just how much we feed off of each other in terms of like Mm -hmm. throwing those. um, A question arises from a meeting at work and like we throw it at each other and be like, yo, what do you think? And we actually strategize together, and we are like a full working unit. And I don't think organizations organizations even know they're getting two employees for the price of one, um, sometimes, (laughs) but it's like, we will design full strategies with each other. Like, what do you think about this? And we work it out. And I think Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of how we work together. but beyond that is also just like what you said about figuring out the relationship and figuring out yeah. what you want and what you want your particular marriage to look like and not being the standard. Mm. We've been doing yeah. a lot yeah. of that as well. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's, I think working together is just marriage or the marriage is just working yeah. together in all aspects, be it in career, be it in raising mm. the child, be it in health, be mm. it in how you manage your in-laws, finances—the big mm. one—it's mm. that's literally all just working together. So, Mutua, thanks yeah. so much for your time. I know it's nine PM now. You guys.
1: And that brings us to the end of this episode. A huge thanks to Andrew and Mutua for making the time for this. You can check out Mutua's work on his website, www.mutuamadeka.com. You can find him on Instagram or Twitter at Truthslinger. That is T-R-U-T-H-S-L-I-N-G-E-R. Andrew is also on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out his art and his semi-controversial tweets at Atheonyango. That is Mm A-T-H-E-O-N-Y-A-N-G-O. So those are those guys. Uh, The podcast is on Instagram at pod. You can check out the website where there's an accompanying article for most of these episodes. I used to say each. Did you notice now I say most? (laughs) For most of these episodes, www.makeitclappodcast.com. The theme music for the podcast is performed, written, and produced by Rafiki. That is R-A-F-I-I-K-I. You can check her out on Spotify and YouTube. Until next time, stay safe, wear a mask. Peace. Peace.
0: To the best ones yet one of it running with the best ones yet solid on the bedrock break not as sweat solid on the bedrock yeah we will live for it.